Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. We know, Lord, that you are right here, Lord, in our midst, ministering to every one of us, Lord, Father. And Father God, we ask, Lord, that you open our eyes to truth that is there in your word, Lord, Father. You speak to every one of us, Lord, Father. Give us attentive ears, Lord, Father. And give us an understanding of your word, Lord, Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will guide us, lead us in what we are going to do right now, Lord. And we surrender this time into your hands. Be glorified through it all, Lord, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, does anyone remember the title of my last message delivered on the 24th of August, 2018? Want me to come down? Sorry. The? Nope. That was not the title of my last message. The Blessings of Jacob. All right. Thank you, sister. The Blessings of Jacob. Now, today we continue on that same theme and look at some more aspects in the life of Jacob. And so the title of today's message very simply is More Blessings of Jacob. Okay, so last time it was Blessings of Jacob. We move on now to More Blessings of Jacob. And again, if you recollect, we divided the life of Jacob into four segments. What are they? The young Jacob, the not-so-young Jacob, the not-so-old Jacob, and the old Jacob. This is the way we divided the life of Jacob into four separate segments. The young Jacob, the not-so-young Jacob, the not-so-old Jacob, and the old Jacob. Last time we looked at the life of the young Jacob and partially reviewed the life of the not-so-young Jacob. Today we shall take off from that point where Jacob was packed off to his uncle Laban's house, or Laban's house, uh, with the instruction to look for a wife. Okay, we came to that particular point where the not-so-young 40-year-old Jacob was uh, packed off from his place uh, and sent off. Now, before we get there, there is something else that I need to address. Now, when we were looking at the young Jacob, we tried to understand how God saw this Jacob. While the whole world appeared to view Jacob as a deceiver, remember I asked you if you were to think of Abraham, what would you think of? You said faithful. If I said if, if it was Isaac, what would you think of? You said the promise. And I said, Jacob, what would you think of? And uh, almost everybody said, deceiver. Okay. So while the whole world appeared to view Jacob as a deceiver, God seemed to view him, as, view him as someone who really appreciated the blessings of the birthright. See, everything that Jacob did was to get that birthright. So after the message last time, I was asked by a couple of brothers and sisters, doesn't the name Jacob mean supplanter or one who deceives? So how could I say that Jacob was not a deceiver? Well, my answer is simply this. When I looked up the word supplanter in Bible dictionaries and various commentaries, I found that the word itself is quoted six times. Supplant, supplants, supplanter. Almost always as an add-on commentary, it's not an intrinsic part of any verse. It's an add-on commentary that has been added by the author of that commentary. Okay, it is mainly the Amplified Bible, which within brackets uses the word supplant or supplanter. Most of the versions of the Bible actually don't use the word supplant, supplanter anywhere. But in this center column or in your footnotes, you will see that supplanter. It's an add-on explanation. 
if you take away the add-on explanations from the versions of Bible that we have, you actually won't get the word supplant, supplanter anywhere, except in two places, okay? Within a verse, intrinsic to a verse, you will see that the word supplanter actually comes in two places. Number one is Genesis, verse 27, verse 36. And this is there only in some versions of the Bible. It's there in the New King James Version. It's there in the King James Version. It's there in the Amplified. It's there in the American Standard Version, the RSV, and the New American Standard Version Bible. Okay? It's Esau says, and he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he had supplanted me these two times. This is Jacob's, this is Esau's statement. Okay? Because Esau lost some things in the bargain. And so he makes this statement where he says, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he had supplanted me these two times. Now, interestingly, Jeremiah chapter 4, chapter 9, verse 4, has the word supplant. It's got nothing to do with Esau and Jacob. This is for you and for me. Everyone take heed of his neighbor and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. How many of you are my brothers? You will supplant me. Jeremiah 9 verse 4. It's got nothing to do with Esau and Jacob. Now, I also found something very interesting. I went to the English dictionary. And when I go to the English dictionary, because I am a dinosaur, I tend to take the old versions of the English dictionary. The older versions of the English dictionary define supplant as to replace. Supplanter is one who comes in the place of. The newer English dictionaries have defined supplant as to replace through devious means. So if you take the old English dictionary, it simply says to replace. If you take the new dictionary, it is to replace with deep, through devious means. So at the time the word supplant was first used in biblical commentaries, it simply meant to replace. No devious means. It just meant replace. No negative, no positive implications to it. So when Esau says, isn't he rightly named? He has supplanted me these two times. Isn't he right? All he's saying is, hasn't he replaced me? It should have been me, but he's replaced me. Okay, so there is no negative connotation to the word supplant or supplanter. Okay, so please note that one. God never called Jacob a supplanter. All we know from Genesis chapter 25, verse 26, is that Jacob was born with his hand grasping the heel of his brother Esau. Now, if I had the time, I would give you a lesson in gynecology or obstetrics as to how Esau was born, headfirst or uh, otherwise, and how Jacob was born. Because Jacob was born handfirst. And he was holding on to the heel of his brother. Okay, but we are not looking into obstetrics. I'll keep that for my college. But interestingly, the word Jacob or Jacob in Hebrew, and it's a very similar word in Arabic, comes from the word Akeb in Hebrew. A-Q-E-B. Akeb becomes Yaakob. Okay? Akeb means heel. The word in Arabic is Kaib. K-A-E-B. Very similar. Kaib, Akeb. 
both of which means heel or heel catcher. So that's the meaning of the word Jacob or Jacob. Supplant is an add-on word which has come as a result of somebody determining the character or the assumed character of Jacob. Do you know the meaning of the word Paul? Do you know the meaning of the word Saul? You know, the guy called Paul in the Bible? There's a character called Paul? Okay. You know him? No, I'm also Paul, huh? but I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the biblical Paul. Okay. He was called Saul. If you look at any description of the name Saul, it will say destroyer. Saul means destroyer. Okay, but that word is not there in the Bible. That is an explanatory word. So don't mix up explanatory words with a biblical verse. A biblical verse is from the Bible. An explanatory word is an understanding word. Okay, so I hope I've clarified to some extent. I hope I've not put more doubts, but I've clarified about this thing called supplanting. Now, let's move on to the not-so-young Jacob. Now, this segment starts when his life is about 40 years. Now, we looked at part of it. We looked at the part where, where Jacob was used as a pawn by Rebekah and Isaac for each of them to achieve a personal agenda. So we are not going back into it. And as a result of this game played between Isaac and Rebekah, the elder son Esau became very angry, and the younger son Jacob had to flee for his life. Okay, and we came to that particular point. So let's turn our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 27. And we will begin reading at verse 41. I will go on to verse 5 of verse 28. Genesis chapter 27. From verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, and I will kill my brother Jacob. Stop there for a minute. Is Isaac dead or alive? At this point. He's alive. But what is Esau saying? The days of mourning for my father are at hand. He's expecting his father to die. Now, almost all of us here, many of us here have got parents who are living. Okay, and I have never heard anybody come with a prayer request saying, please pray for my father to die. Or my mother to die. The prayer request always is, Please pray my father had to be taken to the hospital. My mother had to be taken to the hospital. Please pray that they will get well. How old is your father, mother? 95. But you don't want that person to die. You want that person to live. That's the child in you. You know that there will be a point of time when your older parents have to die. But the child in you does not want to lose that parent. But look at Esau. The days of mourning for my father are at hand. And then I'm going to knock off my brother. He's already killed his father, mentally. And he's getting ready to kill his brother also. Okay, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Verse 42. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. 
If Jacob takes a wife of the daughter, daughters of Heth, like, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. This is chapter 28. And charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So here you have an obviously angry Esau, though he has no real justification for his anger. Because he has no right to claim something that he legally sold to Jacob. But he's forgotten that. Okay? He sold it. He exchanged it for something else. So he actually does not have a justification for becoming angry at this point of time. But let's forgive Esau his anger. But look at Rebekah. She overhears the plans of Esau, and it is Rebekah who very carefully plans the escape of Jacob. She puts on a sad sack face, goes to Isaac to complain that the, woman, that the women of this pagan land where they are living, she didn't want to have anything to do with them. She tells Isaac that her life would not be worth living if Jacob took a wife from among these women. Okay, she is manipulating Isaac. Because if you've just listened to the verses we have read, she never told Jacob that I don't want you to take a wife from these people. She said, your brother's anger is against you. Go away to my brother's house for a few days. And when his anger abates, I will call you back. That's all she told him. But she goes and tells Isaac something else. She says, oh, I don't like the people of this place. My life is worth nothing if my son marries a woman from this place. So, suggestion, supposition. Isaac says, good idea. Now, call, call Jacob. Jacob, go to your, brother's, your mother's brother's house. Okay. Rebecca is very clear here, right? So you look at the whole family of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Esau and Jacob. The schemer is Rebekah. The big schemer in the family is Rebekah. She is listening to what Esau is up to. She is listening to Isaac. She says something to Isaac. She puts across something and then Isaac continues that one. Goes on. So Isaac now falls for Rebekah's plans. He instructs Jacob to go to the house of Laban and to look for a wife from among Laban's children. And so, Jacob flees to Padan Aram to the house of Laban, looking for a wife as per his father's instructions. From last time till now, Jacob has been an obedient fellow. A 40-year-old man, his father says, go look for a wife there. He says, thank you, father, I'm going. <laughs> and he goes. Why did we ever think that Jacob is not a good guy? Jacob is the most obedient person that I could come across so far in the Bible, next to Jesus Christ. His father said, he's 40 years old. Older than some of you. As old as some of you, and maybe slightly younger than the rest of you. Okay. And his father says, Go to your mother's brother's house. He's got some daughters. Pick one girl. This guy says, yes, sir. He had no mind of his own. He's not a deceiver. He doesn't think anything much. He says, right, I'm going. And so he goes. So, so he is actually the obedient fellow. But look at Esau. Because we never talk negatively about Esau. 
It's always Jacob is a deceiver. Now look at Esau. Chapter 28, verses 6 to 9. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed, blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that he had blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. The minute he understands that Isaac does not like the women of this area, his mother, Rebekah, does not like the women of this area. This gentleman, Esau, who just sold his birthright, he says, I'm going to get married to a woman of this area. You see, look at now the comparison between Esau and Jacob. All this while we have been looking at Jacob in negative sense. But Jacob is actually a quiet guy in that house. He's just been obedient. He's just been doing, he's a pawn. He was manipulated by different people. And now he goes. And he goes to Laban's house. And so this guy flees. Okay? What's the lesson for us at this point? You see, everybody saw Jacob. And everybody sees Jacob as a deceiver. God saw him differently. God saw him differently. How the world sees you does not matter at all. It's how God sees you that matters. When Brother Claudie came up here a few minutes back and said, Maybe somebody does, does not like what you're doing, but you just trust God. It doesn't matter what your boss says. It doesn't matter what people around you say. Don't try to put up a good face in front of other people. It simply does not matter. What matters is who are you in the eyes of God? Jacob, God could appreciate. The whole world did not appreciate Jacob. But God said, there is something in this guy. I need this guy to be the, the track through whom Jesus Christ is going to be born. And that's why God says, I shall be called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because there was something in this guy. So the lesson for us is this. The whole world may label you useless. But when God says that he wants to use you for his kingdom plans, you better be ready for it. You may be the only channel God is going to use to accomplish something great. Okay, be ready to be used in God's hands. Okay, irrespective of what the world thinks. So Jacob is on his way to his uncle's house. Night sets in, and so he lays down to sleep. And so let's read Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 12. So, sorry, 10 to 22. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord of Abraham. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. 
Let's stop right there. What do you see right here? Jacob dreams an unbelievable dream. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Men wanted to have a channel to reach heaven. They wanted to build a tower with its foundation on earth and its top in the heavens. God broke it down. God said nothing doing. Now God himself is building a ladder with one end on earth, the other end in heaven. Okay, and God is standing there and giving an instruction. It's an, it's an impossible dream to look at how this is going to happen. How is this ever possible? Okay, but that's the dream that Jacob saw at that point of time. The Lord was simply promising Jacob a great future. A future with abundant land, people, and prosperity. Now for a brief moment, let me take you forward in time. Jeez, Jacob has a son called Joseph. Not yet happened? You're going ahead. Jacob has a son named Joseph. And what was Joseph's claim to fame? Dreams. So Joseph was not the first dreamer in the family. Jacob was. Jacob dreamed an impossible dream. Joseph dreamed an impossible dream. Everybody was so angry with him because of the dream that he had. But what was that dream about? And what was this dream about? You see, it might have been impossible to consider it in human eyes. But with God, nothing is impossible. And God was simply showing Jacob and later on to Joseph that he was their God. And through them, God was going to establish a very special nation called Israel. That was the message which, which was given to Jacob. That was also the message given to Joseph. That he would have a dream, people would bow down to him, he would actually rule over situations. That was the establishment of the nation of Israel. That was the way it grew, that was the way it flourished. So God was very clear that he was giving the same message in different ways to Jacob and years later to Joseph. And so the next day after setting up an altar, Jacob was back on his trail to Laban's house. Now when you get home, read chapters 29, 30, and 31. Like I can't do it here, we don't have the time. In Genesis 29 and 30, we read of how Jacob met Rachel for the first time and then stayed on in the house of Laban for a period of time. Now in that time, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. And so he struck a deal with Laban for the hand of Rachel. Straightforward. Like I want to marry your daughter. So the father says, sure, good idea. Who better can I get than you? Okay, so you can, right, let's, let's set up the, the wedding. But you will have to serve me. So Jacob says, sure, what's the deal? You'll serve me for seven years and then you get the hand of my daughter. Jacob says, fine, seven years is going to fly in no time because I'm in love with such a beautiful woman. And so he goes ahead and serves Laban for seven years. And then there is a wedding set up. And Jacob is obviously in his... his He's in the stars. Because he doesn't recognize that the girl he's marrying is not Rachel. It's Leah. Now he did not want the hand of Leah. He wanted the hand of Rachel. Okay. Who's getting deceived now? Jacob. Jacob is getting deceived. Jacob is not the deceiver. Jacob is the deceived. And so he ends up marrying Leah. And then, okay, one more agreement takes place. A week later, he marries Rachel and then serves Laban for another seven years. Okay, that goes on. Now, over the course of the next, you know, 15, 14, 15, 20 years, Leah, Rachel, two concubines, they bear Jacob 11 sons and one daughter. 
Benjamin doesn't come into the picture as yet. That's going to be sometime later. Okay? Now comes something else, something important for us, which we need to understand. Jacob has served his father-in-law. He's got wives. He's got children. And now he decides that he wants to return to his land. He has served his contract period. Seven plus seven, he has served it out. Okay, he never complained during that period. He did what he said he would do. He would serve Leban. And when it was over, then he said, okay, can I leave? I've served my period. I've got my wives. I've got my children. Can I go? So he goes up to Leban and says, can I please leave? And I want us to read it from um, Genesis chapter 30, <coughs> verses 25 to 30. But, but I'm going to be reading it from the New Living Translation. Okay, much more clearer in the New Living Translation. Genesis chapter 30, verses 25 to 30. Soon after Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I have worked for you. Please listen to me, Laban replied. I have become wealthy, for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. Jacob replied, you know how hard I worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything I've done. But now, what about me? When can I start providing for my family? That is a lesson for us there. Just as it just as Jacob knew that it was time to start providing for the future of his family, each of us here, especially the men, we must know that it is our responsibility to secure the future of our families. See, Jacob and his wives were living in the, in the father-in-law's house. Jacob served, and he was serving faithfully. The wealth of the father-in-law increased tremendously. But Jacob knew that that was not going to come to him. Because Laban had other sons, and they would take it. When Laban died, the property would go to the sons, not to Jacob. So he said, I've done my time. Now please, I need to start thinking of my family. I've got wives, I've got children. I need to secure their future. Please let me go. And so now actually it's a question to us. Don't you think we have a responsibility for our families? I'm asking the men especially. I'm not saying that women are, should need, don't have a responsibility, but especially the men. We slog it out for somebody else. Jacob slogged it out for Laban. You and I are slogging it out for somebody else. And at the end of the day, we have zero penny in the balance, in the account. And one fine day, you will realize that your time is up. Jacob, before that stage was reached, he said, now I need to secure the future of my family. I've done my time with you. I promised you 14 years, I've done it. Let me go. So I want to ask you men, if you haven't planned for the future, plan. Plan. Think you are not immortal. Suddenly one day, your retirement will be upon you, and then you have nothing. Okay? God provides, but God has given you the wisdom now to be able to do that. 
And that's what Jacob had. Okay, and so he started planning. He worked hard. It was Laban who prospered. Many of us work hard. We spend much more time than we need to in our offices. Day and night we spend in the offices. For what? Your boss, your company takes the money. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to propagate uh, revolutionary ideas here. Okay, I also work. Okay? And I have also worked much more time than I need to. Till somebody put it across to me. Now, I don't know whether you will accept this statement or not. Somebody put it across to me that the Ministry of Health has decided that for the education sector, what you need to do your job is eight hours. If you can't do the job in eight hours and you need 12 hours to do that job, it is because you are incompetent. It's not because you are being magnanimous and giving away your time. It is because you cannot finish your work in the eight hours that you are supposed to finish your work. When that hit me, I said, good idea. Let me stop socializing with people in my office and let me sit at my desk and do my job. And then I finished that, I found that I finished my work on time and I could get away. Otherwise, I would go, I would take my cup of coffee, I like coffee, and I would go from office to office greeting everybody, talking to them and asking them about their cats and their dogs and their donkeys and everything else. I mean, be, when in Oman, be an Omani. Okay. So I would ask everything. They are doing their work, I'm not doing my work. And then 2.30, I stuff everything into my briefcase and I bring it home. My home became my office till somebody knocked me on my head and said, you are incompetent. Now, I never thought I was incompetent. Okay. So please, men, you have a responsibility to your families. You have a responsibility to your wife, to your children. Laugh at me now if you want. It's okay with me. But at some point, sit and think about it. Are you doing enough for the security of your family for the future? It's in your hands. It's your responsibility. It is not the responsibility of your company. Okay. Now, obviously, Laban was not prepared to let Jacob go. Jacob was the guy who was doing the work. Who brought prosperity to Laban? Jacob, not Laban's sons. They were loafers. They brought nothing. Okay, it was Jacob who did the job. So Laban said, no, I'm not going to let you go. And that's what some of your bosses are telling you. When you say you want to go, no, we can't let you go. Okay, can you increase my salary? No. <laughs> the only thing your boss knows to say is no. No, I won't let you go. No, I can't increase your salary. No, I can't reduce your work timing. No. Teach them to say yes. Okay? So Laban was not prepared to let Jacob go. And so now Jacob and Laban got into another agreement. Okay? Now they said, you know, the streaked sheep and the, the spotted sheep and the, and the dark color uh, uh, sheep or goats, whatever it is. Okay? That will come to Jacob and the rest will go to Laban and there was an agreement. And then... Genesis chapter 30, verses 31 to 34. <coughs> again, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. What wages do you want? Laban asked again. Jacob replied, don't give me anything. Just do this one thing and I'll continue to tend and watch over your flock. Let me inspect your flocks today and remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you have given me as wages, you will see that I have been honest. If you find in my flock any goat without speckles or spots, or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I have stolen them from you. All right, Laban replied, it will be as you say. See, Jacob did not want to disappoint his father-in-law. He was prepared to continue serving him, provided he was able to find a means 
to set apart something for his family and secure his family. That was the intention of Jacob. But Laban, the father-in-law, the father of the wives of Jacob, had other plans. Genesis 30, 34 to 36. All right, Laban replied, it will be as you say. But that very day, Laban went out and removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted or had white patches, and all the black sheep. He placed them in the care of his own sons who took them a three days journey from where Jacob was. Meanwhile, Jacob stayed and cared for the rest of Laban's flock. Who's getting deceived again? Jacob. Who's deceiving him? His father-in-law. You see Jeremiah 4, 9, 4. Don't trust your brother. <laughs> Don't trust your father-in-law. Okay? Who's going to deceive you? They are going to supplant you. They are going to do something to you. Laban did it. Here is his son-in-law who served him for 20 years who made him prosperous, and yet he wants to cheat him. Yet he wants to swindle Jacob thoroughly. You see? Now, I don't know who you are trusting today. Now, I don't know whose words you believe. Is it your boss in the office? Is it your sponsor? Is it your relatives? Is it those you call friends? Jeremiah 9.4 Everyone take heed of his neighbor and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to trust men. The principle is always trust God, love your brother. Trust God throughout the Bible. It's always trust God. I am sure that there are people here, brothers and sisters, you have trusted somebody else and you have lost because of that. You have lost money, you have lost property because you trusted somebody. Who is your brother or your sister or your father or your mother or your relative or your father-in-law or your mother-in-law? The Bible clearly tells us trust God. Don't trust people. Love people. Love your neighbor. That's what you're expected to do. Love your brother. Because then only you can bring the gospel across to them. But don't trust them. Do not trust them. Sometimes, when I listen to some of you who come to me talking of some job-related crisis, I really can't believe that you don't see the truth in front of your eyes. I'm sorry to say this, but this is a fact. You are still prepared to trust somebody who has been cheating you all this time. All because that person is using honey-coated words. We fall for honey-coated words. God does not use honey-coated words. God is blunt, so we don't want to listen to God. But when you come and tell me that your sponsor has said that he will do this, so now he has agreed to do this one. That guy has been cheating you for the last 10 years. And suddenly you think that a leopard can't change its spots. The Bible tells us that. Can an Ethiopian change its color? Can a leopard change its spots? This is in the Bible, not my words. Can your sponsor change overnight? No, he cannot. If he has cheated you 10 years, he will continue to cheat you as long as you are prepared to be cheated. It's in your hands. Okay? Now, to end the segments of Jacob's life, and then we will stop. I will finally read from Genesis chapter 31, 36 to 42. Then Jacob became very angry, and he challenged Laban, because he's moved out now with his wife and his uh, family, wives and family. What's my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? This is Jacob talking to his father-in-law. You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you found that belongs to you. Set it out here in front of us before our relatives. Of course, Jacob did not know that Rachel was playing games. Let them judge between us. For 20 years, I have been with you, caring for your flock. In all that time, your sheep and goat never miscarried. 
In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass, and I asked you to, and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if, God of, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Because God had told Laban, don't say anything to Jacob. Don't these verses describe the situation of many of us? Put yourself instead of Jacob and say, isn't this what you would like to say to your boss? I have served you so many years, yet when there was a problem, I had to pay for it. You put me into trouble. You see, that was, that was Jacob. He was honest. He was honest. He didn't want to deceive anybody. And so this saga in the life of the not-so-young Jacob comes to an end. With Jacob, his wives, his children, his men, his maidservants, his huge flock of sheep, goat, donkeys, camels, finally moving out from there and returning home. Okay. What are the lessons for us? And I close with this. Number one, how God sees us is much more important than how the world sees us. Make sure that you're right in the eyes of God. Number two, allow yourself to be used by God, even if you don't understand why or how. As long as it is God who is using you, allow yourself to be used. Number three, never discount your dreams. It may be God telling you and showing you something. Number four, serve diligently and intelligently, not slavishly and foolishly. Number five, secure the future of your family by yourself. No one else will do it for you. Number six, Trust God always. Never put your trust in man, however honey-tongued that person is. Shall we pray? Just talk to God. This might be a story that we all know. It's a long, drawn-out story. The life of Jacob is a long, drawn-out one. It might be a lot of things that you have already heard about. But what is God trying to teach us through the life of Jacob? There are lessons for us. Talk to God and determine what is God trying to tell you this day. Talk to God. Where are you now? In his, after we heard about your hour, God has spoken to you personally. As you know that all of us going through this situation, Remember everything. Finally we say, trust God. Allow yourself unto Him. It is God to take care of you, set you free. Jacob is not a deceiver. He is a channel of blessing. God blessed him. You are the one God has chosen to be a blessed. You are a blessing you will be a blessing for many more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Now it's a time for us to go to the Lord's table. Dear children of God, prepare yourself. This table is prepared for us and it is not a ritual and it is an ordinance of the churches from the New Testament 
and there are many things we have to remember in this time as we know from first corinthians chapter 11 from 23 onwards just i'll highlight the few things for you it is a memorial sacrament here it says paul says from 11 to 23 11 to 23 to 25 we eat the bread and memory of his body we drink the cup the fruit of the wine in memory of his blood it means the body and the body of christ and the blood of jesus christ and it reminds us of the proclamation of his death and forgiveness of our sins and it proclaim the faith of our lord's return and till it come so we are commanded to proclaim god's word in the sense is our forgiveness of our sins and his death and his coming thirdly it reminds us of the communion it is not only with the lord and among us first we are coming together in union agreeing and believing what god has done to us and also it is a celebration that god himself is with us so when the lord jesus christ in the last days he had this communion with his disciples it is a time of fellowship time of rejoicing time of celebration of not of his death alone about his victory so what are the observances in this so we should not take this take part in this table on unworthy manner so we should be worthy to being so we should examine ourselves about our present situation if we have any unforgiven sin in us we are not supposed to take part in this the scriptures are very clear and self explanatory if you have any unforgiven sin in you you better not to take part in this so if you do so you are willfully sinning against god so you will have you will by guilt and you will have condemn yourself so dear children of god when we come together remember yourself on the past and it is prepared for god children those who have accepted the lord as the lord and savior and obeyed the lord through the waters of baptism you are qualified to have it if not better to stay back please close our eyes examine yourselves are you worthy to take part in this service in this communion in this lord's table which is prepared for god children you may be a believer but still if you have any unforgiven sin in you it is a time for you to confess before him you should come before the table with the full consciousness of you are you are free from your sin Father we thank you for this moment thank you for the table which you kept before us lord we pray bless the bread the wine which kept before us father this will remind us of your son jesus christ who was put on the cross after all his persecution lord all of he has said shed his blood for our sins we are cleansed by the same blood today we are here to remember the day that you have forgiven all our sins as you are going to take part this father give us your grace 
first of all you qualify us forgiven all our sins keeping us free from all our sins lord take part in this table it will means to us that your death your burial your resurrection and your coming prepare us to wait for your coming of father bless the once again we pray bless the bread and the wine bless your children as we are going to take part this father let receive your blessings through this table of father as you are going to take part this in jesus precious name we pray amen that we are running short of the time please coordinate with the ushers as you are directing you please once again this is a reminder this table is kept for the believers those who accepted the lord uh, as a lord and savior and obey the lord into what is a baptism thank you From heaven you came, helpless babe. Entered our world, your glory waved. Not to be served, but to serve. And give your life that we might live.
is the blood of Jesus. And why do we take communion? Why do we celebrate communion? We do this as we have heard from the beginning that we do it in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. We do it to remember the instruction that he has left behind when he was living. And what are we remembering? We are remembering the ransom that he has paid. We are bought with a particular price. That means we have been redeemed. This is the essence of taking this. You are being redeemed from what? What have you been redeemed from? We have been redeemed from our sin. Because the book of Romans 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is why we are being redeemed. And for the instruction that Jesus Christ has left behind, do this in remembrance of me. Brethren, why can't you just close your eyes and ask God that, Lord, I've partake 
in the communion that you have instructed we should be doing your remembrance. Every traces of sins in my life, Father, let them disappear. Take them away. You know the area that devil keep taking you back to. Right now, today, you have taken this communion. That this communion should wash every sin away from your life. Begin to talk to God silently. Lord, these are the area that I'm being fall short of your glory. Father, remove them. With this communion that I've taken, Lord, it is not by Mary that we are taking this. It cannot be end. It is by, by the Spirit of God. Lord, I thank you. Father, we bless your holy name. The precious blood that you have shed on the cross of Calvary have set us free, have redeemed us. And everything in our life that you have taken away shall never return in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray that this communion we have partake today, this communion that we have taken today, we keep reminding us when we are about to go astray that we have to come back to the rail. Lord, we pray that this plea that we continue to remind us that Lord will endow us in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Lord, we have heard about the blessing of Jacob today. This blessing that you have given to, to Jacob. And that is what the generation are still enjoying today. Father, we thank you. We honor you and we glorify your holy name. Because the communion that we have taken today, we make us to determine, we make us to choose that we need to follow your path so that that blessing will continue to flow in our life in the mighty name of Jesus. And as we receive the spiritual blessing, physical blessing shall follow in Jesus' name. The spirit to determine, to walk in the will of God and that we enable us to get that Blessing from God, that Lord will endow us in the mighty name of Jesus. We have been destined to, to, to be blessed. And that blessing will never fly over us in Jesus' name. Blessed be your holy name. Father, I pray for your son that you have used. Whenever we fire a gun, we have to reload the gun. Father, your son has passed the message. Reload him with your spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. The source of wisdom you have given him that is giving this message, that source shall never dry up in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed be your holy name. Lord, as we go into the new week, go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever we do, we shall be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Everything we lay our hand upon shall be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. And our testimony shall be full in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Let's share the grace together in fellowship. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen.